Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. The last few weeks here at CCM Heaton's, we've been focusing on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So on Friday night, um, we wrapped up a whole week of focused prayer uh, with a wonderful evening of praise and worship uh, with people from across CCM. So there were about, I don't know, maybe 150, 200 people, something like that, um, all singing and worshipping God together. It was amazing. Um, And our big prayer as a church is that God will be filling us with his spirit. Um, In the words of the, the Book of Common Prayer, I grew up in the Anglican Church, we want God to be sending us out in the power of his spirit to be living and working to his praise and glory. But why? I think the short answer is it's because we're fans of freedom. The Apostle Paul wrote that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And God has sent us his Spirit to reveal himself to us. And what he reveals is that Jesus Christ has set us free. I believe that's amazing news and a really great place uh, to start this morning as we think about the difference that uh, being filled with God's spirit makes to the way that we think and to our thought life. Because what are we free from? Well, plenty of things, but one of the surprising things about God is that he tells us that we're free from ourselves. I've been set free from me, or in particular, I've been set free from judgment for the things that I've done wrong. I've been set free from guilt for the things that I'm ashamed of. And I've been set free from following rules, jumping through hoops to impress people or impress God. Um, And that's all the work of the Spirit of God inside of me. And I'm sure that lots of us here today could say something similar. But just as interesting as what we've been set free from is what we've been set free for. Because the Spirit of God offers us a lot more than just a blank slate. God wants to fill our lives with life and peace And I don't know about you, but I fancy having as much life and peace as I can possibly get hold of. Uh, That sounds like quite a good thing to me. So I'm going to pray now. Uh, I'm going to pray that God fills us up this morning. Father God, thank you that all who believe in your son Jesus have received your freedom, your forgiveness, and your spirit. And we pray that as we worship you this morning, you'll be molding our hearts and our minds and helping us to honour you in thought and word and deed. Here's our our text this morning. It's a really short one. It's from Romans chapter 8, and it's only 10 words long. Um, But if you've brought a Bible, do open it up anyway, uh, at verse 6, and you'll get the full context. The verse is, The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Uh, that's it, that's the, that's the verse, and it's really it's my first point as well, word for word. Um, but to understand it, we'll need the full sentence. This is only the second half of the sentence. And the full verse, Romans 8, verse 6, goes, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And I was, as I was um, meditating on this verse, there was, there was one picture, really, that really helped bring it to life. For me, and given that it's a cold and frosty January morning, I thought it'd be fun for us to all take our imaginations somewhere 
bit more exotic for a couple of minutes. Uh, so come with me on a mental journey to Pride Rock in East Africa. Uh, if you haven't seen The Lion King, I'm sorry for you, for many reasons, but partly because I'm about to ruin the ending. Because um, <laughs> the end of The Lion King gives us a really neat illustration of this verse. It's been out for 30 years, you know, um, I don't think I'm ruining anything. Um, if you just make a couple of changes, if you swap out mind for Pride Lands, if you swap out flesh for scar and you swap out spirit for simba, I think it all makes perfect sense. <laughs> under, under Scar's rule, the Pride Lands become governed by what Paul calls the principles of the flesh. The rule of Scar is characterized by greed and power and malice and evil. There's even a smattering of sexual immorality in the way that Scar treats Sarabi as his personal property, um, which doesn't tend to get focused on by the five-year-olds. Um, and the results of Scar's government are pretty plain to see. The Pride Lands become the grey, they're diseased, they're carcassed. There's a stench of death and destruction in the air. It's a metaphor for hell, the life lived without the spirit of God. But by the end of the movie, Scar is defeated. Simba is installed as the true king. And under his government, everything is made new. Life and peace are restored. The grass is green. The colours are bright. All the creatures are celebrating. It's much like Isaiah's vision of God's kingdom, where he says, You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And the mountains and the hills shall break forth before you. There will be shouts of joy. The trees of the field shall clap their hands. And Elton John shall start singing and the credits will roll. <laughs> Life and peace and joy and celebration are a big part of what God is all about. So let's set our minds on him this morning with our hearts full of thankfulness. And yet... The Lion King isn't the perfect picture of the Christian life, is it? There's, there's still a tension. Andy's there saying, no, no, the Lion King is a perfect picture. No, there's still a tension. Jesus has defeated sin, but we still sin. Jesus has brought us life, but we carry death with us in our bodies. Jesus is on his throne. That doesn't mean that every knee is bowing. So what do we do with this tension? I brought a book along with me because I read this recently. Um, it's by a chap called Krish Kandaya. It's called Paradoxology. It's a play on words because doxology means to praise God and paradox is uh, what he's talking about. Um, and it's a great read. I'm going to quote you from the introduction to Paradoxology briefly. Paradoxology was going to be a book of troubling questions that everyone asks. But instead, it became a book of troubling questions that many people never ask because we've become convinced that it's unhealthy to discuss them. We worry that if exposed to the light, our faith will fade away. But if our faith is that fragile, well, it was never true. And avoiding good questions is not going to lead to any kind of answers. What I want to ask is, what if we've been going about this all wrong? What if the tension between apparently opposing doctrines is exactly where faith comes alive? What if it's in the difficult parts of the Bible that God is most clearly revealed? 
What if it's in and through our doubts that we learn the meaning of true relationship with the God who created us, of true worship? Kandaya goes on to express and explore 13 different paradoxes of the Bible, including this one, which he calls the Roman paradox, because the book of Romans is all about it. And I believe he's absolutely right. We've got to dive in and embrace the tension, embrace the limits to our understanding and the limits to what God tells us. We've got to wrestle and ask and question and think. God is good and he's given us our brains and he wants us to use them. But on, on this specific problem of our minds being redeemed and yet not redeemed, free and yet sinful, governed and yet rebellious, I think the key things are we've got to pray and we've got to trust. We've got to pray because it's God's spirit who will work through our minds to bring life and peace to the world around us. So we need to be asking for his help. And we've got to trust because there are things that we can be doing even this morning that will line up our minds better with God's spirit, who is the source of all life and truth and peace. So for the rest of the preach this morning, I'm going to be talking about three things that we can be doing to line up our minds and our thoughts with God's spirit. And I'm firmly convinced that each one of them gives us a way to make not only our own lives more peaceful and lifeful, if that's a word, but also to improve the lives of the people around us as well. Who's with me? Me. Let's go. Action one. The first thing that Paul says we can do to line up our thoughts with God's spirit of life is to recognize and fight our own evil. There are parts of my heart that, if given free reign, would join the hyenas and fight for Scar. And I need to kill them. Here's... Paul, again, in Colossians 3, chapters 2 to 8, Paul talks about this a lot in every single one of his letters. Colossians 3, 2 to 8. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, Now you must also rid yourself of all things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, I'll be honest, I wanted to skip over this point. I felt God saying, no, there's a reason that Paul writes this in pretty much every single one of his letters or something along the same lines. And Jesus spends a lot of time preaching and teaching about our thought life as well. And I feel like there's there's somebody here today who feels that just by reading those verses in Colossians, I was almost stabbing them in the front because there's something pretty fresh in your mind where you know that you're in the wrong. And I, I don't know who, who you are or what you've done, but it's blocking you from knowing God's life and peace. So if that's you and if that's how you feel, then I'm urging you to repent and to own up to somebody you trust. Um, confess and renounce your evil and trust that God knows you and that he loves you and that he promises to forgive you because he's your father and that's what he does. 
And even if you don't feel like there was anything in particular that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of, we do need to be vigilant because part of me does gravitate and will always gravitate to this catalogue of evil, so I need to be actively fighting it. But, but how do we fight it? That brings us on to the second action. Because the way to fight evil in my own heart is not to stamp it out like a dictator trying to get rid of his rivals. It's not like that at all. Let's move on to uh, the next bit of that section in Colossians. Paul writes, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Note that language, clothe yourselves, clothe, get dressed. Fighting sin isn't like playing whack-a-mole, trying my best to keep a clean sheet, like Dobby thwacking my head against the wall with self-flagellation every time I fall short. Fighting sin is about filling our lives, our hearts and our minds with the things of God instead of the things of evil. And in this list, kindness, compassion, humility, gentleness, forgiveness, patience, forbearance, love, it's more than just a toolkit for fighting sin. It's a playbook for bringing in life and peace. Work with me for a moment. Um, have a think about somebody who you know to be compassionate. Have a think about someone you know who is kind. Think about someone who you know is humble. Someone who is gentle. Someone who is patient with you. I don't know if you're thinking about five separate people or, they, or you were thinking about one person five times, but I bet you one thing, anybody who came into your head then, you're glad they're in your life. You are delighted. You enjoy their company. Why not, Why not tell them? Because I think those people, for you, they're reflecting a fundamental truth about God, and that is that God is for you. God is on your side. And that's why submitting your mind to the authority of God and his spirit is a wonderful thing. We're not giving it away to somebody who's going to misuse and abuse it. We're submitting to a God who loves us and knows more than us. And as we learn to line up our minds with God's spirit, we will become a blessing to the people around us as well. We will help them to see something of the God who loves them. Let's go back to Simba for illustration. While, I'm really sorry if you haven't seen The Lion King. <laughs> While Scar is wreaking his destruction on the Pride Lands, if you remember Simba, he's off lolling about with his friends Timon and Pumbaa. He's living in idleness. He's sitting around pretty comfortable and complacent while the world around him is basically burning. 
Um, and we find that to be true when Nala comes and Simba goes, no, I'm all right, thanks. But the, cue the cure for Simba isn't to beat himself up about how lazy it is, uh, how lazy he is. He doesn't, he doesn't hear a sermon on idleness and go, oh, yeah, no, I should, uh, I should go do something, shouldn't I? No, he becomes inspired. The memory of his father, Mufasa, and the memory of who he is, they fill up his spirit with a newfound compassion and a newfound humility. He has compassion for the suffering of his friends. He realizes what they're going through. And he has a humility that is willing to accept death and further ostracization in the service of his duty. And that moment's the high point of the film. Simba changes his mind. Hakuna Matata has got to go. No worries is not good enough anymore. He's transformed in that moment more into the likeness of Christ as much as a lion can be. And his mindset shifts onto the things of the spirit. And Pride Rock and the surrounding areas, for those parts of the world, uh, that mindset shift changes history. Got one, one last action, one last point on living with the mindset of the spirit. And I don't know about you, but I find that my mind is is profoundly affected by what I put into it. I like to think that I'm a strong, independent-minded thinker, but to be honest, it's a bit of a charade. I take on the things that are around me like a sponge. Everything that goes into my head generally ends up coming out of it in some way or other. Take advertising, for example. Hmm, down on. I'm loving it. Kids and grown-ups love it, so the happy world of Harry Bow. Did somebody say, just eat? <laughs> Kid Minster carpets, a perfect fit every time. <laughs> Might just be me on that last one. <laughs> There's a reason companies pay big bucks to throw jingles at us. There's a power in music. It gets into our hearts, it gets into our minds, it gets into our souls. Every marketing executive knows this, and they use it to get inside of our wallets as well. But I'm not, I'm not here to complain about the power of advertising. I'm, I'm here to suggest we can use it <laughs> to God's glory instead. Not advertising, but jingles, definitely. Paul knows this. Let's get on to verse 16, moving on in the same Colossians section. Verse 16 says... Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. First things first, note that word richly. Last week at community group, somebody was expressing their, their admiration for Nigella Lawson. Um, the thing that they loved so much about Nigella is the way that she unashamedly delights in rich recipes with cream and chocolate and honey and butter and indulgence. And according to this verse, singing is to God's truth as Nigella Lawson recipes are to eating. It's how we indulge, how we enjoy, how we treat ourselves to God's truth. And I know we sing together on a Sunday like this morning. But I reckon that some of us are denying ourselves an opportunity to get to know God better by 
shunting singing into a sort of one hour on a Sunday when there are plenty of other hours in the week. Um, and you can, you can kind of ignore the power of singing and song. Uh, and then you, you know the Just Eat rap by Snoop Dogg better than you know the Bible. Um, one example, there are lots of things that I'm extremely grateful to my parents for, but one of them is that when we were on car journeys when I was little, they would often, not always, but like often play Christian children's music. They'd find CDs from churches. I think one of them was called Praise Party HTB, and another was something odd like Skipper's Nippers. <laughs> and they'd just be kids' music, but so many of the songs were just straightforward. They were Bible verses. So lots of them even had the reference. Um, and they were set to music, and for me, they weren't just like advertising jingles. There are hardly any bits of the Bible I can read without little tunes jumping out <laughs> here and there. And my whole life, I'm going to remember truths like uh, some of these because of the CDs. So Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Or uh, Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. Be uprooted and planted in the sea. See, see it obey you. Luke 17, verse 6 confirms what a little bit of faith can do. That's going to be with me for the rest of my life because of a CD that was played when I was seven. Uh, Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 119, 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. They go on and on. Like I've, I've, I ran this past Becky. She suggested I cut quite a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> I know most of us aren't six years old, and 90s CDs designed for kids might not be exactly what we like to sing or to listen to, but... I think each and every one of us, there'll be some way that we can be using music to let God's word dwell in us as richly as a Nigella Lawson chocolate gatto or a Nando's sunset burger. Um, so I'm really glad we did the kids' song this morning. <laughs> and um, I'm really encouraged by um, the things that Dana was talking about as well. And it's not just, you don't have to be musical. Like, singing is music and poetry. You can not know any music and still be a songwriter. Finally, on the topic of things that we put into our heads and having the mindset of the Spirit, I think we've got to, we've got to finish with these verses from Philippians because I think they're possibly the master text for following God with our minds. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Whatever, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, look how broad these verses are. Serving God with our minds as we're filled with the Spirit involves traditionally pious things like Fighting sin and reading scripture, absolutely, they're crucial. But here in Philippians, it's clear that it's also very broad. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely. The assumption is 
we're going to come across true things and good things and lovely things and noble things all the time. Whether it's in the, the TV we watch, that's probably not what Paul had in mind, but I think it's still true. Uh, whether it's in the people we meet, whether it's in the media we consume. The challenge from Paul here is that as we go about our lives, we've got to filter everything that's coming in and choose the good. Choose to focus on the good. So I've been trying to be intentional about this in the last couple of weeks. I've been trying to work out when we watch a film or when we watch TV, how do the characters, how does the story show us a little bit about what God's kingdom is like, about uh, what God's like? Um, we've, we've been trying to do it, I'll be honest. We've, we've done it a few times. I'm not sure we're much good at it yet, but we'll get better. Um, and I think it's, it's a first step towards making sure we're being shaped by God's spirit and not just mindlessly being shaped by whatever comes up on the autoplay feature. Let's make sure this morning, well, not just this morning, let's make sure in general that we're feeding our brains a healthy diet of the good things that God has put into this world. And let's be setting our mind in sync with the Spirit of God. And in that way, we'll be enjoying the peace of the Lord always.